Welcome to the Turnaround Mindset Podcast with your hosts, behavioral economist and psychologist Phil Slade and successful business leader and accountant Adam Smith. In these unprecedented times, decisive and fearless leadership is critical to any business transformation. Each week, our hosts will unpack the tough and intimate questions we all face as professionals, offering no-nonsense business advice to those bold enough to think and act differently. Now, here are your hosts, Phil and Adam. Hi there, and welcome to the Turnaround Mindset. And the topic for today's episode is the devil inside. How do I manage my ego as a leader? Now, my esteemed colleague and partner on this podcast, Phil Slade, has literally spent most of his career and most recently written a successful book on dealing with and letting go of your ego. So, Phil, where do we want to start on this one? Ego can either make or break your company. Having an overly inflated sense of yourself and your own opinion is a surefire way to ruin your company. It feels good to have your ego inflated. Humans enjoy having their ego stroked. It makes us feel safe, powerful, valued. Egocentric nature is strongly linked to our core identity as humans, and therefore we want to protect it at all costs. It becomes, in the words of Tolkien, our precious, you know, it blinds us to the bad decisions and and poor behavior, uh, to the destruction that we're causing because it feels good and we will chase that feeling to the very end without even noticing we are on the pathway to destruction. Manage your ego or it will manage you. There's There's a number of great experiments where they look at mice and they literally put an electrode into the pleasure center of people of mice's brains Uh, when they eat certain foods and they will eat themselves to death for the feeling of that pleasure. Ego and having your ego stroked can become that pleasure-centric stroke that we chase um, to the detriment of everything and all around us. And the, 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 the chasing of that feeling becomes so strong, it overtakes us and it becomes the devil inside of us literally overtakes us. I'm really interested to know from your perspective, Adam, you would have seen... Ego run rampant. What what is it? What have you seen the destruction of an ego in an organization? What does that actually look like? In our careers, as we rise up through the ranks, people are more likely to want to please us by listening more attentively, agreeing more with mm-hmm. what we're saying, yep. and seeing our perspective, all of which will inflate our ego. You know, as we acquire more power as we, you know, move up through the ranks, as I've already said, you know. Some will crave more fortune, more fame, and more influence, and they can lose control. We, uh, we start to make decisions from a judgmental stance. You know, you start to ask questions like, what am I getting from this? How will people see me if I do this? How do I look? An ego, if unchecked, can really warp our perspective and values and ultimately corrupt our behavior. You know, this is especially true from the perspective of, you know, when you're sort of leading a project that may have failed or gone in the wrong direction, it might have exceeded budget or something along those lines, or just generally when people are trying to provide constructive criticism. You know, an inflated ego within a leadership sense in a business, you know, it prevents us from learning from our mistakes as we put our defenses up. And as leaders, we can fall into the bad habit of always wanting to be right, which can make your views on the world, you know, very insular. It puts a glass ceiling on what a company's vision could possibly be and create, you know, a massive disconnect with the wider business and its culture. So we have this Freudian concept of the ego 
which is your your sense of yourself in the world, and it's a very reactive nature. The other big development in psychology over the last 50 years has been the development of behavioral economics. Behavioral economics sort of tells us that there are two ways of thinking, a fast, instinctive, uh, and very reactive way of thinking, and a a slower, more conscious way of thinking. Um, This faster, reactive, and instinctive, automatic way of thinking um, is very closely linked to our amygdala, which is our fight, flight, or, or, or comply response uh, mechanism, our survival mechanism. It's also closely linked to the hippocampus, which is where we store a lot of our long-term memories. So if you think about this, we learn to survive in the world. These are the rules of thumb that we then take for the rest of our lives and often misapply in wrong situations. Now, our ego can feed into that instinctive nature by informing us about how to survive what's right and how right we are and and how you know if we do it my way we'll we'll get through and we'll win if that is too inflated if that is too strong and somebody challenges that or there is something in the world that challenges that fragile sense of ego then all of a sudden our fight flight or, or comply mechanism kicks in and and our our reactive self goes a bit apeshit. And we call it apeshit because apes and chimpanzees actually have these same parts of the brain. Apes and chimpanzees don't have the more conscious self, the reflective self, the ability to plan and deliver. That's what makes us human. But they have this. So when you're reacting, when you're letting ego run you, you are essentially no better than an ape running wild in your organization just causing shit. You're just going apeshit. And, and you're blind to it. You can't even see it because it feels good. Because the more you go apeshit, the more it tickles that pleasure, pleasure center of your brain. And our brains strive for that pleasure center to be, to be, um, to be uh, fed. And so the more we feed it, the more we do it. And the more blind we come to the ramifications of it within our own organization. It's the most destructive loop that we can get into. Mm. And I think it really feeds this whole idea of the Steve Jobs, uh, what I call uh, the Steve Jobs myth. And this is this myth of Steve Jobs, which is feeding this entrepreneurialism or this this young sort of attitude that says that you have to have this strong inflated ego of your own self-importance to get ahead. And we just know that's not true. Jim Collins, that wrote probably the best business book ever, Good to Great, which is which goes through thousands of companies thinking what is a good company and what is a great company, found that when they looked at speeches and emails and writings, the CEOs of great companies always use things like the use of we and us and together. There's a collectivism that's not about themselves. The, the good companies that often just fizzled out or went uh, off the rails had CEOs that were using I and myself and I believe we should do this and were trying to um, be a strong leader, uh, but they were, they were doing it from an egocentric kind of way and they just lost their way because their ego blinded themselves to, um, you know, good decision-making. Yeah, look, I think for me, I've read a fantastic book by Ryan Holiday a few years ago called Ego is the Enemy. Mm, And it it talks about the three ways that ego can work against you. And I think it's very, very, you know, uh, important here uh, looking at it from the point of view of a leadership perspective. You know, essentially the first one he talks about is ego shows up when you are aspiring to do something great. 
So what that means is it's where you spend most of your time talking about what you're going to do. So you're letting people know about a particular idea and I'm going to be putting all my time into it. I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram. These are all the things that I'm going to do. And all you're actually doing is putting off the actual task itself. What you're doing is actually talking about it, but not actually doing what you said you would do at the start. Mm. Um, The second one is, is that Ego shows up when we achieve noteworthy success, you know, and this is a particularly relevant one from the point of view of leaders who are, you know, believing they're, you know, indestructible, they're bulletproof, you know, Mm. we believe every future endeavor is likely to be a success Mm. and we'll almost do whatever it takes to be right, you know, Mm. the need to win, the need to be right no matter what, it has a huge impact on our capacity to run and bring the entire business along with us towards achieving the overall objective. Mm, It's a classic status quo effect, right? People underestimate how much chance was actually involved in the success that they they, uh, warrant and they think that the things that they do in the past are going to warrant success in the future Yep. Uh, and it just doesn't work like that, right? It's, It's classic status quo bias, right? Yeah. And the third one is ego shows up when we experience failure or a major setback. Now, I think one of the things about an ego that a lot of us, you know, really do like about some of the things that happen in our lives is that we're very quick to acknowledge when we've done something really, really well. But, you know, ego turns up just in time to save face versus stepping up and dealing with the failure you may have actually had incur in your life. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's where it really does work against you. You, you need to be able to acknowledge both the good and bad parts of yourself mm-hmm. to really be a truly good leader. I mean, we know, we've heard, all heard it before, you either earn or you learn, you know, mm-hmm. you, there's no such thing as failure and you, failure is the greatest opportunity for, for learning, right? We all know that, but the reality is, if you've got an overinflated sense of ego, you cannot learn from your failings. You yep. won't. You just won't learn from your failings. It becomes an impo- it's part of the blindness that comes with an overinflated ego, right? It's a very difficult one to manage. You know, like you, you go back through all of the stuff around Leadership 101, all the different ways that you're supposed to be a leader, be a manager, whatever it might be on behalf of an organization. As a leader, you must, it says, failures need to be admitted publicly and early. Mm. You know, that's about dealing with, you know, the parts of yourself that you may not necessarily be proud of or wanting to acknowledge. You mm-hmm. know, these these are very difficult things and difficult conversations that need to be had about those parts of yourself that you know you may not necessarily be happy with, but mm-hmm. you know, that's what it's about. Absolutely. And this is the the transition between being egocentric to being ego responsive. It's about going my ego's not not a bad thing you know that instinctive intuitive emotional automatic side of us is there to help us navigate the complexity of life right it's not bad it's just when you feed it the wrong way um it's gonna it's gonna do some you know maladaptive thing i suppose that that takes us to what are the five big tips uh to not go ape shit to keeping a control of our ape to taming our ape putting it in its cage so that we can control our ego and our ego and make sure our ego doesn't control us. Um, and these these are in the book going apeshit. We've got a whole bunch of tips and a, and a whole bunch of suggestions about how you can manage this ape. But these are sort of our five, Adam. We, we, we sort of went through and go, what are the five that we see constantly being useful in an organisation? Well, I think number one, I think the way you describe it is hold it lightly. You know, I think it's really important when something is said about you, the first thing that you have to do is don't emotionally react straight away to mm-hmm. what's being said. Mm. 
And, and to be honest, this is really hard for me. Like I, I actually find it really hard to hold things lightly. I have a, I have a high level of anxiety normally. Um, and this has been a real journey for me to be able to under, feel that kick, feel that moment where you, where, you, where you could be offended at something and just let it go. And, and a lot of people said it's not like putting up a shield where you're trying to deflect things that would normally offend you or because that's suppression. Uh, uh, and we'll go into that before, but suppression is terrible. It's more like you you're, can walk through walls. It's more like people throw things at you and they just go through you without even, without even you noticing them. So you don't need to deflect them. It's like they're not even there. They often go, you know, hold your hand open and just watch it sort of disappear into the ether. It's holding it lightly. Yeah, it look, it's a difficult one. I know you use the concept of hold it lightly. For me, I use the concept of stop taking things personally. Yeah. You know, taking things personally, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do, especially if you're incredibly passionate about a particular topic. Mm. You know, you have a belief about a particular uh, thing in life mm. and to have somebody sort of come at it from the point of view of either trying to put it down or whatever it might be, your capacity to stop and not react straight away is incredibly difficult, mm, but mm. is also a sign of, of maturity as a leader and your capacity to be open to sort of new ideas mm. and new diff- or different ways of looking at things. Mm. A lot of people just say, you know, smile and just laugh at yourself. The ability to laugh at yourself is, is actually really important in that, in that act of holding it lightly for a lot of people. I think that leads naturally into the second one, um, which is learn to forgive. Absolutely. Forgive ourselves and learn to forgive others. Mm. Okay, so number three, and I think this is a really, really important one. I think, you know, acknowledge what triggers you. You know, Mm. it's really important that we acknowledge what is good about us, but it's also acknowledging what are, you know, the dark parts of ourselves that we might find difficult to talk about. Mm. You know, we have to acknowledge what triggers us Mm. with our ego. And a lot of like for me, I'm easily triggered when I'm in my field of expertise, you know, mm. like whenever, you know, somebody says something that, that I might think is not as funny as maybe it is. Um, and we're talking about it. I, I get really sensitive because it's like, well, no, this is my thing. You know, I know what I'm talking about. Um, and I, I, it's really hard for me to just go hold it, you know, hold it lightly. And for me to, to go into a, a meeting or a conversation where I know that, that this is something that I know a lot of, I go, okay, I need to consciously, I say to myself, I need to just breathe. I need to not be reactive. I need to be responsive because I, I'm going to be really sensitive to what's going on around you. And I suppose that's when you understand the triggers, you understand, you can prepare yourself, I suppose, beforehand. Yeah, and I, I think once you acknowledge what the trigger is, because most of us will go straight into autopilot, you know, our need trying to be right, trying to be seen, trying to be heard. You know, it's going to have negative consequences on whatever it is that you're actually trying to get across. Mm. And at the end of the day, it's actually going to limit the perspective of where this could go or what the opportunity is. Mm-hmm. Number four, don't fear failure. Yeah, what a big one. I mean, it's one thing to learn from failure, but it's another thing to be fearful of failure, even even when you haven't failed. I think there are fear, shame and guilt never amount to anything positive. I've never seen those three emotions uh, result in anything good for anyone um, psychologically. Fear of failure, the whole idea of failure and how it, tr- how it triggers your sense of your own worth or your own value, 
uh, means that you're you're likely to do crazy things in order to avoid failure because of the fear of it, rather than take hold of the opportunity and make the best decision. You know, the fear of failure is something that undermines good decision making all the time. In in middle management, it's the frozen middle. It's all about fear of failure. They they would rather not make a decision and not be proven wrong than make a decision and and maybe be right. You know, it's it's not worth the risk for them. There's the fear of failure is so strong. And from a leadership perspective, if you've got to do a major restructure or make some big decisions, and it might be about laying people off that, that you've known for 20 years, but you know are not right. These are hard decisions and you cannot fear failure. You've got to make the decisions that you need to make, back them, take responsibility for them and be human in the process. If you don't feel failure, you'll actually be able to do those things in a more human way than you will if you fear of failure because that reactivity will actually make you do quite silly things and, and it'll be much worse off for it. No, I, I think you know that need to protect and preserve the ego mm. will actually limit your capacity to be a great leader. Like mm. you know, From the point of view of, as you said, making decisions where you're not prepared to stick your neck out, you're not prepared to sort of back mm. what the company is telling you. You're actually prepared to support your own opinions and your own beliefs, which you know fundamentally are probably mm. wrong. Mm. You know, it, it's one of those things, if you don't recognize and realize that you may fail, mm. right, you will never be able to be a good leader. Mm. And, and I think this whole idea of in those moments, you know, reacting and not responding, uh, sorry, responding, not reacting, mm-hmm. <laughs> the wrong way around, um, plays into the fifth one, which is really that play the observer role. Mm. You know, when you're in a meeting, when you're in a situation, choose observation first, observe first. This is not just being the last one to speak. This is actually observing other people's reactions, observing what's going on in the room, notice the things that are around you and you will better be able to respond to what's going on. By just observing, not attaching emotion to what is being said, actually seeing uh, the broader picture, allowing others to speak openly and then off the back of that information, being able to make a better decision, mm. you know, it makes you a better leader. You know, mm. you as the observer, you aren't completely skewed in your views. You're not rifle aim focused around what you think should be the way that we deal with this particular problem, because mm. it may not necessarily be the right way. It's just mm. what you've done, you know, previously or what's worked for you in the past. It may not necessarily work for you in the future. Hold it lightly. Forgive. Acknowledge what triggers you. Don't fear failure and play the observer role. Then you will be able to turn around your business and your mindset and be a better human being in the process. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Turnaround Mindset Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please head over to iTunes, Google or Spotify, hit subscribe and share the podcast with someone you think would benefit from it. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating. To download this episode and access other relevant content, please visit our website, www.theturnaroundmindset.com. Join us next week for another Turnaround Mindset episode. And remember, the only way it gets better for you is when you get better.